Welcome back to another episode of The Shifting Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and a live interview coming at you today. This is fun. I haven't been sat down with somebody in front of a microphone for months. So uh, today, I've got Pete Schmuddy. Uh, he's a pastry chef in Indianapolis, just opened a new place, getting a lot of attention already. Uh, so Pete, welcome to the show, man. Hello, and thank you. Yeah, man. This is So we're sitting inside your, your new bakehouse, and this is like, uh, it's badass. It's insane. You know, I want to touch on that. You open in the middle of all of this this mess. I know that wasn't a plan, but... Uh, <laughs> no, you know. it definitely was not the plan. Uh, I mean, how long have you been planning to open this place? Uh, we first really started talking about it, I guess, uh, June of 2019, May, June of around... Perfect timing, around, right? About yeah. a year, year and a half ago or so. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> crazy timing. Yeah, I know. For those of you who can't see his eyes rolling and the sigh. <laughs> yeah. But um, you've You've kind of worked all over. You've got an insane experience. I kind of want to start back at the beginning of your career because what's led you to here is really interesting. And, and, and this is a very unique concept in itself. Sure. Um, but, you know, you've been around the, the pastry scene, at least here in town, for quite a while. You build quite a name. Everybody looks up to you. You know, I have ne yet, yet to meet anybody in town that has anything negative to say about you or your pastries. Well, that's always good to hear. It's kind of, I, I guess I sort of live in a bit of a bubble and... and, and I'm not always aware of all of that. Sure. So it's always nice to hear. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so when, how did you get into, I guess, into a kitchen at all whatsoever? And were you doing savory before pastry? I mean, I know that happens quite sure. often. Um, I mean, the, the short version of the story is, yeah, when I was in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, working at a little kind of carryout place there, uh, sandwiches, soups, salads, mm -hmm. and things like that. Just working the counter, and then uh, there was a, a vacancy in the kitchen, um, and they just kind of scooted me back into the to the back of the house. Uh, while I was uh, also going to school full time at IU, um, what were you studying at IU? English composition. Nice. Yeah. So I was a writer. I got a journalism degree. They're really useful in the restaurant industry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Eventually, uh, I spent more and more time in the kitchen and realized that uh, less and less time in the classroom. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And I, how old were you? 22? 23? Uh, 19. 19. Oh, yeah. very young. Yeah. Um, and then I, I worked in that space for three or four years. Mm. Uh, but there was always a, there was a baker, you know, who I worked right next to. So we had a bakery case. We did everything from scratch there. So, you know, cookies, cakes, nothing real fancy, but... Uh, I learned a lot of the building blocks there, just kind of working next to him. And eventually he moved on and I slid over to the other side of the table and, and I realized that that was uh, a little bit more interesting to me than the, mm. you know, carrot salads and soups that I was making up to that point. So when you make that jump, when you make the jump over to, uh, you said baking primarily and doing all mm -hmm. that. I mean, did you have to go through, did you work under him as like an apprentice? No, not know? at all. Really I just kind of head first? Literally jump? just had been watching what he was doing every day for wow. several years. Um, and I'm not saying that. So how many mistakes did you make in those early days? All of them. <laughs> Everything, yeah, every single one that you can that you can think of making. I remember trying to melt chocolate directly over heat in a pot <laughs> and just scorching the shit out of it. And, um, but yeah, I, the, the one nice thing that I think about when I think back about that place was really just even in terms of savory in terms of pastry everything we did was from scratch mm -hmm. um and it was all a lot of old world you know the woman that owned it was an old greek woman um and she would bring in things from her garden and um 
just really, really kind of learning the fundamentals of what good food was, making everything from scratch, getting in good ingredients, and, and kind of building from there. Yeah, that's a pretty young age to actually be like experiencing that. I, I, I was at least ten years older before I realized what good food was. And, sure. You know, I, up to that point, my going out for a nice meal was just you know a fancier frozen meal than it oh, previously yeah. been. I mean, in well, retrospect, you know, looking back, it wasn't a great time either. <laughs> what, you're about the same age as I am, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 44. Okay, so you're exactly the same age as me. Yeah. And uh, that's right, we share a birthday, don't we? I think, uh, or sep- something. No, I'm September. Oh, that's tw- right. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, but I think we're pretty close. But yeah, I mean, well, yeah, just a few months off. But that means you were coming up in the 90s, which is not a yeah. time where uh, independent restaurants were booming, particularly in Indiana. And, right. And you were in Indiana, yeah? Yeah. I grew up here in Indianapolis. Um, and when I think about, you know, the, the way that we grew up... My parents cooked, but it was a lot of casserole. Mm-hmm. Uh, creamed hamburger. I don't know if what? you're familiar with. No. Yeah. Uh, Do go on. Yeah. No, I just, I remember browned hamburger in a, in a cast iron skillet and with water poured over it and mm-hmm. seasoned with salt. And we, that was a regular meal at our house. Really? Yeah. Um, That's funny. I mean, we, I grew up the same way. The sure. fact that I ended up a in lot the of food Campbell's industry. Soup yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Everything was canned and, you know. I look back at some of the food that we were given for breakfast sometimes, and I'm like, God, that, yeah, that, that's like dessert. I mean, there was so much sugar in it, you know. Uh, cream of wheat. Uh, oh, I had yeah. a lot of cream of wheat. We didn't have oatmeal. We had cream of wheat with sugar and butter on it. One of the popular ones in my house that my mom, because she taught us to make it so it was easy, and we were kids with a sweet tooth, it was effectively like, like probably some sort of... Uh, back page of a magazine monkey bread kind of situation <laughs> uh, it was like canned biscuits sure you put in like a bunt pan and just like pour sugar and cinnamon and brown sugar and just microwave it oh until nice. it, yeah so it was this like syrupy gooey <laughs> half cooked biscuit and we loved it man we loved uh, yeah, that stuff I mean, anything gooey with sugar on it <laughs> right, right i know but yeah it's like it's a it's a lot of hops and skips and jumps to get you know right. to where to where we ended up well so I, after you left bloomington what happened i mean um, did, is that so did did you make the full commitment mentally when you were there no, at that place? No, no you were still kind took, of just a job. It took years for me to get to that point. Um, after I left Bloomington, I moved to St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of on a whim. Mm-hmm. My brother and his girlfriend, now wife, uh, were living there. And this is one of those kinds of things. I think I was 24 when I moved there. Um, and and to, to date myself, I was like, well, I, I need a job. So I grabbed a newspaper mm-hmm. and started flipping through it. Newspapers. Yeah. So this is paper. Right. Like, wide. Yeah. Right, yeah. The, the classified ads. Believe me, I know. I, have a, mm-hmm. I, I got my journalism degree at just the perfect time <laughs> when they were all like closing just, their doors. Sure. Um, there was an ad for a pastry cook. And I just figured, hey, that's something that I've been doing for a little while. Yeah. Um, and I need to make some money, so I went and interviewed for it. And it's actually at the University Club in St. Louis, which was at the top of a 23-story building. That's neat. Uh, they had three floors, banquet facilities, three dining rooms, uh, a from-scratch pastry shop. And I spent the next three years there. Um, and she was pretty old school. I mean, keep in mind, this was, you know, by this point, I moved there in 2000. Uh, Food Network wasn't a thing. Right, yeah, uh, not at all. You know, I, I, I don't I, think, I think in 2000 I couldn't even afford cable, so I don't. Right. <laughs> I mean, Anthony Bourdain, I think, had just written. Yeah, Kitchen 97, I think. Yep, yep. So, 
the the landscape was very different. I mean, the internet wasn't there. All the information was not out yeah. there. Um, you really had to scrape. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't know fine dining. I didn't know chefs to look at. I didn't know pastry chefs at that point. I knew how to work. Um, so I would show up every day uh, and, and, again, learn more fundamentals. Learned about, you know, producing for banquets and learned about... Uh, started learning about plated dessert at that point and again like very very old school stuff a lot of like sauce spider webs and mm-hmm. molten chocolate cake <laughs> and stuff like that so popular 80s and 90s yeah. uh plating yeah the spider webs i forgot about the pl- uh, spider right webs. yeah there's a lot of toothpicks a lot of toothpick <laughs> work um but learning how to learning how to put together things, starting to learn what tastes good and again just learning how to i always had the work ethic mm-hmm. that was you know, nothing that, that anybody could take out of me. So I find that pastry guys usually do, and especially if you're baking, because the hours are just absolutely insane. You know, there's it's not rare it's, it's for not us to like be leaving work at my restaurant and running into pastry chefs like right. bakers on the way in. It's definitely something that that I think requires a commitment. Um, like you can you can be a cook, you can go learn a cook, you can you can do enough to get you know, to get along in a job. Mm. If you're going to dive into pastry, it's definitely more, I think, of a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's definitely different in the kitchen as well. You know, it, you, there's a lot of precision work. Um, yeah. And not a lot. There's, there's that's a lot what always, I guess, kind of um, has been the, the barrier for me, like at home, you know, sure. I'm, you know, I, I really love, um, I like to make, croissants and in Vinoisserie at home but it's you know you don't know if you fucked up until the end yeah and if you're making croissants that would be three days later yeah that's very true and and that's kind of how I describe it a lot of times is is in terms of the process goes yeah you don't know if you're successful until you're not right you know Um, which I think is one of the things that I still like the most about it is just pulling something out of the oven that's perfect is I mean, it's really gratifying. Still exciting. You're Absolutely. like, yes, we did it. We got it. Yeah. You know, I mean, all that every work Every single time. Off. Because there's some times when you're not successful because you're like, oh, fuck, we forgot to put the sugar mm-hmm. in. <laughs> right. You know, that still happens. Not as often as it used to, but, you know. <laughs> I, I, God, I screwed up my uh, croissant, though. Maybe uh, it was probably, well, it was during COVID, so mm-hmm. in the last nine or ten months. And I, I didn't get the butter in there before I like got it all like done. I tried to integrate it later. Oh yeah, no, and it's, it's it was done. yeah, it, it was done. I had to yeah throw away a big giant ball of work. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> at thing. least it was the beginning stage, you know. Right. I hadn't laminated anything yet. But even then, it's like you know you took the time to 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 scale everything out, to <laughs> right. pull everything out. Um, so yeah, the 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 feeling of the time wasted is a bit of a bummer. So you, um, jumping forward in your career, where I know you from, you uh, became the pastry chef at a restaurant called Cerulean, yes. which was an upscale uh, restaurant in Indianapolis, unfortunately now closed. Although, then again, anybody still open is the rarity at, at, during the coronavirus sure. era. But um, that's where I came to know your work. And, you know, again, word spread quickly of everybody, you know, coming to you got to go over there and try the pastry. Um, you had a full program there. You were in charge. Now, had you been a... a, a the pastry chef at a place prior to that? Or oh, sure. Was that-, that was that was definitely not my first pastry chef position. Um, my first pastry chef position was actually working for the Wolfgang Puck Corporation when they were at the art museum. In oh, Indiana. yeah. That was a cool spot. Yeah. So I had, I went to Chicago for a couple of years, moved back to Indianapolis about 2000, late 2006, early 2007. 
uh, was when I came back to Indy, uh, worked for Wolfgang for a few years, closed down that restaurant, bounced around a so little you were, bit. So were you in charge of pastry at that point? Yes. Or you were in, so you were in charge? Yeah, that was my first big pastry chef position. So with a name like Puck, I mean, that was obviously he's a well-established chef in the country sure. and world. I mean, I, I'm guessing expectations were pretty high. Um, as far as execution is concerned. Yeah, for sure. I mean, between that and our client, the IMA, they definitely had certain things that they wanted. And sure. Yeah, it was a lot to juggle. Yeah. Were you intimidated by that? Kind of taking over that, that role? Not really. Or just the work um, ethic blinded you? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can say not really at this point. I'm trying to remember back to that point. My, <laughs> right. One of my best friends was actually the executive chef. And he had called me up and said, hey, I have a pastry chef position I need filled. Uh, so that was actually what ended up bringing me back to town. And I had kind of talked to a few of my mentors and asked them, I was like, hey, you know, so I was in a pretty good spot up in Chicago. I said, I have this opportunity. And they're like, well, Wolfgang is a pretty big name. There's plenty of opportunity there. So they kind of encouraged me to go for it. And it ended up being a pretty, a pretty neat gig. I got to travel around with some of the corporate chefs and bounce around from Indy to Chicago to Cleveland and kind of train up some of the other mm -hmm. of the other pastry chefs there. So, so I mean, you touched on it, and it, so you're traveling around, and I, I find that as I pay attention, and maybe this is just my outside perception, that um, pastry chefs tend to do better around each other and, like, kind of bouncing ideas and learning off each other. I know all, all cooks and chefs do that, but I see a lot of collaboration, a lot of, like... Um, I guess less competition between pastry chefs than I do kind of savory chefs. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of, I know there's exceptions. Cronuts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say there's no competition. I think, I, think it's a, I think it's a little bit friendlier. Right. Yeah, there you go. That's, I guess that's what I'm looking for. Sure. Right? Um, and so it, how important is that kind of mentorship role? Because I know that's kind of something that I've been talking about with a friend of mine lately is, you know, that, that role in finding the, the right mentor. I mean, obviously sure. there's a lot of people out there that you just might not click with um, that are very accomplished and, and how to find that, like, right one. And you said and you had a couple of mentors in Chicago. I had a couple. I had a couple of instructors uh, at French Pastry School where I went and I did a six-month That's, that's actually there. where my friend went just recently. She just wrapped gotcha. up and is kind of looking for that role, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I say mentor, I mean, it's not that they necessarily took me under their wing, but there were people that I felt comfortable going to for advice, mm -hmm. um, which I think is pretty important to have. Uh, I certainly know. do in any position. You know, it's, it's nice to have somebody to kind of give you that heads up, heads down. For me, uh, you know, again, I just at home, but I, one of my friends, Chris Heron, was a pastry chef at Bouchon mm -hmm. um, in, in Vegas, and I believe he was in Yountville as well. He spent like five years with Thomas Keller, but he's like the most down-to-earth, sure. chilled-out dude. And he, um, you know, I, I don't feel, I guess, intimidated by asking him a dumb question. You right. know? Then again, I'm not working at a restaurant, you know. But um, Well, I think one thing that I can speak to, it's I mean, sort I of am, like... I'm <laughs> not pastry. And, and I'm sure it's probably very similar in the cocktail world. It's a tiny, tiny little circle of right. people. Right, um, And everybody knows each other and if you know if you don't know that person then you know somebody who does mm. um so you kind of have to mind your p's and q's i mean if if somebody's going to recommend you for a job or if they're going to recommend you or you know send you somewhere you you get you have to show up and do the work because you're 
reflecting on that person that sent you there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not cutting the mustard, you know, that person's going to call their right. buddy up and be like, hey, why, why'd you send me this guy? Mm -hmm. um, so, number one, you better show up and do the work and do it well. Be respectful. Don't be a dick, you know. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get weeded out pretty quick. So, you know, you said it's a small community. Everybody knows one another. And, yeah, it's obviously the same in the cocktail world. And it's becoming more so with, you know, social media. Absolutely. You know, everyone can reach out to one another um, kind of as needed. So, you know, how do you, because that community is so small, do you see it getting smaller? Because, well, let's just avoid 2020 because we don't, <laughs> it's not representative. Hopefully, I pray this is not representative of, yeah. of the going forward. But we've definitely seen a trend is, you know, over the last, what, 11, 12 years as we've kind of seen this, this food wave go past. Like, you know, we, in 2010, you know, when I opened my restaurant, uh, Black Market, we were called a gastro pub because nobody knew what the fuck to call it. You sure. know, there was no, New American, right? Which we now qualify as like New American. Right. It's a uh, thing. It, it was nobody yeah. knew what to call it. But, you know, as everything kind of got more casual, right? There was this kind of backlash against fine dining, backlash against the upscale stuff. They put on a suit, but you still wanted to have nice food. Right. And, and, you know, that was like, I mean, it took over. You look at restaurants like The Publican in Chicago mm -hmm. and, you know, in Indy, any number of restaurants like Greg Hardesty and all this. Whereas like you can wear, you know, throw on a T-shirt and jeans, but you can still go get caviar right. and champagne. And so, but one thing I noticed was that there were fewer and fewer pastry jobs, like, um, in those kitchens. Absolutely. And do you see that as a, as a trend, or do you, th you think that's bouncing back? I mean, what do you, what do you think is happening there? You know, it, it's funny that you bring that up, because I remember, this probably five, six, seven years ago, there started to become sort of an exodus of pastry chefs mm. leaving their kitchens. Like oh, really? really well-known guys. So, like, uh, Michael Esconis at La, at La Bernadine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnny Uzzini, who was uh, Jean George's pastry chef, mm -hmm. uh, Alex Stupak at Alinea and WD50, like pretty much these guys all started leaving their pastry kitchens. And I was in New York at a uh, uh, like a big culinary convention, and they had five of those guys. They're all sitting around a table having this conversation about pastry chefs and why they were leaving their kitchens. And a lot of them were like, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a pastry chef at a three Michelin star restaurant and everything's great. How many times can you write a new menu? Mm. Um, and it's sort of like you, you get to this point, even though you're very, very well respected in your field, there's a glass ceiling. You're never going to be the guy. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting. They were all just kind of ready for new challenges. You know, it's like how many how many years can you do that gig right. without just kind of feeling like you're spinning your wheels? And we saw a lot of those chefs, you know, kind of open their own places with yep. like Stupac and Lascones. And then you saw uh, Johnny Uzzini ended up, you know, temporarily on television anyhow and, right. you know, doing um, a little bit of that work. And so but when you say, you know, that ceiling, so you mean, you know, when... The identification of the restaurant. So we're talking just, for example, Le Bernardin, right? Like right. You're, you're meaning we're just never going to get past that being Eric Repair, right? Exactly. Like, you know, you're going to permanently associate with that. And I guess, you know, as far as like the cocktail, or I'm not cocktail world, in the culinary world, on the savory side, I remember reading a story, I believe it was in um, Grant Ackett's book, mm -hmm. when he was working with Thomas Keller, and he had done the... Um, 
oyster and pearls or whatever that sure. dish is called and, and Keller saying to him like are you okay with this, being, this being my dish. a French laundry yeah. dish because once we make it it's not yours, it's anymore. Not yours anymore and so I, I mean that's kind of like the whole job in pastry right I mean anything you put on that menu kind of becomes you know if it's Eric Repair or whoever's right. running the kitchen I mean I guess the argument could be made that anybody working under them right because you would have a chef de cuisine sure. and all these things that are kind of working under Right. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, and, and again, I'm just kind of stream of consciousness sure, here, right? But a lot of times these are savory chefs, right? I mean, they aren't guys that necessarily, if they come in and they've got their chef de cuisine, you know, saying, hey, I want you to do this, 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 and this. My name's on it. You know, we, we, this is what we're going to do for a menu. But right. when it comes to pastry, how accomplished are some of these guys to come in and tell you, like, we need you to do this? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it seems like there's a lot more autonomy um, in pastry. Um, yeah, I think uh, if you go ahead and take that pastry chef position, they're hiring you so that they don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, and that's kind of how I, I've always approached it. And that's, I mean, honestly, when I talk to, to cooks as well, um, you know, young cooks who are, you know, deer caught in the headlights, they don't know kind of what to do or, or how to organize. I, I always say, look, you have four feet of space. You have to worry about your left hand and you have to worry about your right hand that's your station don't worry about the guy next to you don't worry about you know the guys in front of house just handle your shit um so that chef doesn't have to worry about mm -hmm. uh and that's kind of what i always have have brought to pastry as well because you know if somebody's hiring a pastry chef let's face it we're not the money makers mm -hmm. you know what i mean they're hiring us because they want a quality product they don't really want to have to worry about that side of the kitchen. So right. that's what I always tell, you know, the guy that I'm working for. Like, look, you're going to bring me on. I'm going to guarantee you're not going to have to worry about what's coming out of that part of the kitchen. Just put that out of your mind. you got enough to worry about. You know, right. you've got balance sheets and, you know, banquets or, or whatever. Um, but you're never going to have to worry about, you know, what's coming out of mm -hmm. that part of the kitchen. So as these jobs, you said, you know, there was this exodus from the uh, from pastry back at that time. So where did that end up leading to? Um, you know, well, I, I mean, there were definitely a lot of articles coming out <laughs> around that time, basically saying, you know, is pastry dead? Mm. Um, now, that's a, that's a, that's a, a disheartening thing to read when you're you've chosen that as your profession. And yeah, especially never, at your age at that time, it's not always been an easy route to take. Sometimes that, you know, you've had to take the jobs that just pay the bills on occasion sure they're not glamorous gigs but and we there's you know a handful of pastry chefs that we know the names of because you know they've opened cool shops you know sure. and you, you kind of have to do that in big cities and and that, i guess that kind of you know leads us right into your new shop i mean because of all of these things right like the 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 pastry department uh, or the pastry kitchen really not right. getting the love and the attention there's really only one way around that right is you've got to have your own shop you've got to have your own name on that you know it's like i said evidence in vegas you can go by sure. whatever uh oh my god who has the place in aria i mean i was gonna say jean jean philippe right, right. Uh, you've got the chain of places so you know it's identified or you know the television chefs but you know you specifically set out to make this owned operated run all decisions made by only the people that had kind of been, I wouldn't say looked over, but I guess the well, spotlight was not on them. The, the spotlight's not on them. And we all, because we come from a very, you know, similar background, we have similar, similar skill set. Um, we approach things from a very similar direction. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you're a restaurateur. 
You probably, you know, have you ever hired a pastry chef for any of your places? I haven't, you know, and I've had people like kind of reach out to me and tell them me they're interested. But again, it's it's, it's a, definitely a luxury that not many places can afford, especially exactly. like you said, when you're casual, you know. And because of that, it's sort of like the way the way I always kind of explain it is we understand what it takes to do the job. If you bring on a pastry chef and he tells you, OK, I need X, Y and Z equipment and it's going to cost you this right. much. Yeah. What are you going to take? And you're like, no, no, I can't. I'm not going to get you that deck oven that you want. <laughs> Fifty thousand um, dollars. But when we're all in a room together, we say, well, OK, this is what we want. This is the this is the product that we want to put out. Mm -hmm. And these are the tools that we need in order to do it. Um, so being able to build that from the ground up, I mean, that's, you know, I always refer to this place as the home. You know, we built our home. Right. Uh, to me, home is when you stop looking for the next mm -hmm. thing. So when you originally concepted Leviathan, which I'm not sure that we mentioned the name of the bakery yet, but yeah. we will <clears throat> we'll put links and all that up on the, uh, on the show notes. But when you were originally concepting, there was this... You have several partners here, right? How many are there? Like four or five? Uh, we have five total owners. Right. Myself. And so was this a was that from the outset going to be all five of you and you kind of concepted together and then grew within that? And everybody yeah, works honestly, here, right? Like I yeah. mean, everybody is actually... Boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Explain kind of how you guys came up with the, with the concept. I, I look at it as like a co-op. Sure. Right? I mean, you've got five of you and you're all pastry chefs, but you all have these different strengths, right? And so... Absolutely. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that. So when we were conceiving of this place, my brother actually used to work at a co-op bakery in St. Louis. Oh, wow. Um, which kind of got my wheels spinning a little bit. And we're not a co-op. We're, we're a small S-corp. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have five people. We all make decisions together. And the way it all kind of came about was I had uh, a friend, Matt Steinbron, one of our partners, um, who I had been talking to about working together for years and years and years. Um, we just, we met while I was at Cerulean very early on and just kind of hit it off. Um, and he's got a friend, Jess Cardowich, another one of our partners who, uh, kind of took over the vinoiserie. So that's pretty much what she handles. She also does social media and photography because she's got, oh, you know, that's cool. uh, she's got a degree of photography from Heron. So it's just another one of those skills that sort of slots into a role that we needed to fill. Um, and then at the time I was working uh, for a company here in town and I met Sam and Jesse, the Blythe brothers. Uh, Sam's a brilliant bread baker and they were talking about opening up a place together and said, hey, you're a pastry chef. How would you like to do something with us? So I had, you know, two people on the left side, two people on the right side. They were all asking me if I wanted to work together. Mm -hmm. So I just threw everybody in a room together just to see what would happen. Um, and we all kind of started talking about the concept of Leviathan and what everybody, you know, each individually brings to the table and kind of realizing that all these pieces sort of fit together. And honestly, the way I describe it, it's almost like playing chicken with each other. <laughs> I feel like we were all at one point just sort of waiting to see who was going to pull out. Um, Nobody ever did. And then we found this location here uh, at 11th and College that was the old R2Go market. Yep. Uh, looked at it, realized it, it wouldn't really fit the bill for somebody who wanted to do a full restaurant. But for us, it was kind of perfect. So, all right, we had the people. We found the place. We, you know, filled out an LOI and 
didn't kind of think anything else of it. And then I got the message from our realtor that, uh, oh, by the way, you got the space, uh, which was a holy shit moment. It's like, <laughs> right, I know. Oh, Oh no! I I think we might actually have to like yeah. keep pursuing. I know that this. feeling. Yeah, yeah. We're like, uh oh, I'm committed now. <laughs> yeah. well, what did I get myself into? Um, but honestly, you know, throughout the entire course of it, nobody ever, you know, we always felt like we could pull it off. Mm. You know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened with um, you know the, the craft brew scene about you know eight years ago, nine years mm. ago, where. Prior to that, you know, in the early aughts, I don't know what we call those, but, uh, you know, everything was a, was a um, like a brew pub, right? Like, I sure. mean, they would make beer on premises, and that was the only place you could get, maybe you could get a growler or something, but it was all made on premises, and then all of a sudden, it's like the, the beer brewers decided, it was like, why do we need all this extra shit just to make beer? Right. Why do we have to cook all of the food just to get drink? It's like, you guys have shed all of the all of the kind of unnecessary parts that were part of the kind of satellite positions mm -hmm. in another restaurant in order to like showcase everything you're doing in pastry. Yeah, well, I mean, was, what we had always kind of said was uh, the oven is kind of the heart of what we do. Um, I mean, if you go back into our kitchen, we don't we don't have a line, you know? We yeah, don't. it's very, it feels like being, um, if anybody's ever seen like a, uh, a production bakery, I mean, you know, sure. a hotel kitchen or something like that. I mean, yeah, it was weird going back there because I'm used to seeing, you know, a grill and right. fryers and all of these other things. And, you know, you're... Yeah, if I, if I ever put a fryer into this place, just shoot <laughs> me, please. Um, but uh, the the idea was sort of like, all right, these are the tools that we have. What, what all can we do with it? Um, so, yeah, we've got great deck ovens. Uh, Sammy's, you know, making all of his sourdough breads. And we've got our sheeter, so... Tons of laminated pastries, but we also what I got. Want. I want a sheeter at home, man. <laughs> they're, they're so fun. Like I don't know how I ever lived without one. Um, so you, you've got you, five of you, and so everybody's here um, working in the kitchen. So how's that breakdown? So what, what, who, what's everybody responsible for? I guess in generalities, I know you guys. Uh, there's a lot of like uh, the Venn diagrams where you're working together, sure. but you said everybody had a specialty. Can, can you give me the quick breakdown? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely crossover, but like I said, Sam Blythe is our, our head bed bread baker, excuse me. Um, and then uh, Jess Cardowich kind of handles the vinoiserie. So she comes in, you know, at one in the morning, two in the morning every day and does all of the croissant, mm. all the Danish, everything baked fresh every day. Um, Jesse, Sam's brother, runs front of the house. Um, and then me and Matt kind of are, I would say, the Swiss Army knives. Um, <laughs> right. We, we handle a lot of the cold pastry, the cakes, the entremet, things like that. Um, but also, you know, you'll find me out back, like, with a shovel, shoveling up garbage from, yeah. you know, yeah. all, the, all the glamorous jobs. Uh, the, the, the kitchen manager jobs, making sure that the, you know... The walk-in is clean and, and labeled and working. Yeah, keeping, <laughs> yeah. honestly, like I just had to replace all of my, every, all the guts in my yeah. walk-in, everything yeah. but the walls. It's like nine grand, which is great during COVID because <laughs> it's like, well, I guess put it on the credit card. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, I the the fun part for me is kind of keeping the wheels turning and making sure that everybody has the tools they need to mm -hmm. do the job that they need to do. Um, you know, I I also always say, you know, I do a lot of the savory prep. Uh, ironically, I don't really get to touch pastry that much. Um, I, I always find that that's the, the kind of irony of, um, of all, I would say pretty ownership. much any any position, yeah. but certainly um, in in hospitality that 
the better you get at the job you do, the the farther away you get from it, you know? Um, sure. Because you start getting into management and you go higher and higher up and then it becomes more of a paperwork job, more just following numbers and, and managing people. And you, you, you can very quickly forget why you fell in love in the first place. Sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, um, I do the show here and I've said that many times. It's kind of that reset every couple of weeks mm -hmm. to like remember that there's amazing stuff happening outside my four walls. You know, yeah. you get stuck no, inside there. Point. I mean, this is great. I'm sitting in here at a bakery. It smells amazing in right. here, you know? And, and so I, I find that that's, you know, the ability to bounce around as a manager is certainly fun, but it's the jobs that uh, <laughs> that are required, like you said, shoveling up whatever's in the back. Right. It just, when you said that, I, I th thought back to, the, before we opened my first restaurant, Siam Square, there had been a grease trap, like a grease, not a trap, but like the a container, right? Yeah. The storage container stores, God knows, probably 400 gallons of used oil, but it had never been picked up by the company that owned it. And it'd yeah. be sitting outside for two years with no top on. <laughs> so it was raining and all of the neighborhood, like, right. you know, it's street just... people and everybody that was sleeping in behind the building were just throwing trash in it and mm -hmm. it was full of oil. So just throwing trash in this full of oil. Yeah. I get there, I call the company, hey, can you come to pick this up? And they came out and they said, we can't take that because it's full of trash and oil. You, you need to remove all the trash. And you know how deep those things are. You know, they're like five feet deep of oil. Sure. I had to just, I mean, I tried to wear gloves for a little yeah, while. No, you, were, you went swimming I, in oil. I had to go swimming in the yeah. oil. Yeah, it was not the most fun job ever because it was just trash. Trash that had been festering for years yeah, inside this Lord. oil. Yeah, not I mean, my favorite moment. Hey, it makes for a great story now. <laughs> yes, it's funny now. It yeah, was right? not funny no, at all it, then. It was not funny then, I'm Well, sure. when I got in too, I, 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 um, because I displaced the oil, it had been raining, so of course that's screwing up the oil recycling sure. as well. Um, but I displaced the oil, so it started running off into the parking lot at the adjacent property, and they had just paved oh, their, sure their lot. That. And so it, it, there was a really terrible, gosh, I, I forgot all about this. There was a, um, that night, a really terrible uh, thunderstorm came through. It just poured buckets, it was mm -hmm. lightning. And I went out into their parking lot with soap and a deck brush and just used the sky water, you know? Yeah. Just used all the rain coming out of the sky because it was coming out at a force hard enough and deck scrubbed their entire parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> it got done. It yeah. got done. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't piss off the neighbors, but yeah, that was not fun. But so, uh, speaking of not fun, I mean, so you concepted this last summer. Um, you know, you're kind of, I guess you weren't in too far of a different boat. I mean, this is much worse, but in 08, we kind of were concepting and, and, and building in the summer of 08. Right. And then yeah, the housing fall bubble. hits and then it collapses. So Lehman Brothers uh, went bankrupt two weeks before our opening day. But, you know, and what do you do? I mean, you're already, you're in. Yeah, you're, you're committed. committed. So, you know, you'd get, when we, you said you had the letter of intent and you got approved, uh, what, what, when are we talking that that So happened? we <laughs> signed our lease early November oh. of last year. Um, got, got the keys, got in. Um, we were, you know, gathering up some money. We we're bringing in some investors, and uh, I always like to say, to put things in perspective, that we we finalized our final loan the day before my daughter's school was shut down. Oh man! So March was when we were fully funded. Yeah, well, I, then, I remember when we were fully shut down already, and then you, you know, I started seeing the. Uh, well, we were part of the uh, fundraising for Black Lives Matter. Yep. That we. Um, and so yeah, that, that was happened like, in I think that June. was one of the earliest events that you did. Yeah, because we did it over did. at uh, Black Market as well, right around the corner. Right on. I guess it is worth noting that you know my restaurant that's now permanently closed, but right. it was right around the corner 
It's probably good. I would have been over here spending all my money anyway. Yeah, I mean, well, while it's still a going concern, we definitely spent many days over there with lots of tacos. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, man. It was great. So the, um, well, that's right, because you worked with Chef Esteban mm-hmm. at Cerulean. I forgot about that. Yep. So you had actually known each other quite well. So, uh, you know, you've got... You really were left with no choice. I mean, did you have a meeting about do we open, do we not open, do we wait it out? There you was know? never really a question of of if because yeah, we'd we'd sign on the dotted line. We had the money. We were you know mm-hmm. we were fully committed to it. Um, fortunately for us, uh, our business model does lend itself to carry out. Right. Um, so um, where a lot of businesses were having issues and having to pivot and reconcept, uh, we never really had to worry about that. Uh, on top of that, because we did get fully funded, we were probably sitting on a lot more money mm, right. than you know businesses that had to shut down their doors um, and get PPP loans and things like that. Uh, we because you were really, so new, were you even qualified to apply for any of those loans? Because uh, no, because I mean, you weren't to open and operating at what well, I think the cutoff day was February fifteenth, right? Where they you had to have an and if you weren't open until March, that wouldn't have qualified. Well, we didn't. I mean, we weren't even open actually until July. Uh, but more to your point, we we were not really eligible for any of the PPP loans mm. because those were based on payroll, right? Um, and we didn't have any payroll. I mean, we had every single other expense. Mm-hmm. We had rent, utilities, right. and insurance, and all that. Yeah, that's my issue with those PPP loans, and I've mentioned this several times yep. on the show, but they were not... They weren't, weren't user-friendly ca- at all. for the hospitality industry, because, yeah, payroll is not our big expense. It's the, what, everything you just mentioned. Sure. Um, I mean, now that, now that we are a going concern, I mean, payroll is definitely one of our biggest expenses, but... Yeah, I mean, for us, we we had to pay all of that out of pocket. Right. Um, fortunately, we were able to, but we also had a landlord that was willing to work with us if it, you know things became an issue. We did end up getting a, a small grant that covered our rent for one month. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it, it just got it got down to the point where whether we were ready or not, we had to open our doors. Right. Um, yeah, that's that and, and we were not ready because first of all, when are you ever ready? Mm, never. I mean, yeah. I hate exactly. pulling the trigger on it when you set that date in stone. Right. And everybody wants to rush in the second you open the doors, and I mean that's the worst. Yeah, <laughs> you and, know, and you're gonna fall on your face the first day, and never. Well, oh, <laughs> my favorite story to tell is you know we opened our doors day one Monday, guy came in wanted to buy a cup of coffee, handed me a ten dollar bill. Oh shit! Out of everything that we forgot to do, nobody went to the bank to get any cash. <laughs> yeah, I've done there was that before. <laughs> zero cash in the cash drawer. So you know, hey, go ahead and take the cup of coffee. It That's is an fine. easy thing to forget. You would think <laughs> it's not, but I mean, you know, you've got everything else in line. Yeah, you got to go get right. ones and fives. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it, it took a couple hours before the bank was even open because we're, well, we're a bakery. We open at seven. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I ran over and and loaded up the cash drawer and. We've been going ever since, but so I, I was it even a consideration to delay it, or you just you I mean, had to make it happen? I mean, yeah, we to we delayed and, it and, and um, take a deep breath. Sure, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, mean, I mean, there were there were a couple other circumstances that that kind of forced our hand in the opening that I won't go into too much right now. But uh, I mean, ultimately, you know. What can you do? You figure it out. Right. I mean, that's what we do as as cooks, as hospitality people. Like, you know, just as well as I do, sometimes you just got to figure out. Well, one thing I found that when we opened Siam was that, you know, again, two weeks after Lehman Brothers, that 
you know, we didn't have a big staff because we were brand new. We were very lean. Oh, yeah. And so were we. So we were accustomed. I mean, I wouldn't say accustomed because we hadn't opened, but we d- we didn't have to worry about that. We were going to do everything ourselves anyway. And so we figured, hey, if we can make it through this, you know, that when it gets better, we'll be better situated anyway. And so it's sure. it's kind of the little silver lining that if you can, you know, since you are thinly staff, you've got five partners that are all here. You yeah, know, you make it helps. through this part when it grows and, you know, we're in a better situation and there's no global pandemic. Yeah, I mean... Again, I'm saying, like, when, the, when you can say the 08 economic crash right. was, like, nothing compared to what's going on, you know it's bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's definitely puts things in perspective for sure. I mean, we're dealing with absolutely unprecedented circumstances right now. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, you know, it's like you're talking about, we do have five partners. We have, you know, five people on salary, which means, you know, we were all putting in 100-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. So we were literally doing... You know, I did the math. We were doing the job of 12 and a half people between the five of us. I mean, I bought three cots just so, you know, if we got tired, we could didn't have to sleep on the floor. We could sleep on something that was a little bit more comfortable. Sure, your family loved that. Yeah, you know, I mean. (laughs) But I I presume your wife knows this going into it. You've been a pastry chef for a while. Yeah, I mean, we actually met uh, at WP at Wolfgang, she was in the industry for a long time, ah. so she understands the hours and has been nothing but supportive. So again, you know, you're putting a highlight on you know the guys that traditionally don't get the spotlight on them. Yeah, and so it's you've already gotten attention. You've been open what since July, you said. So yeah. we're talking five months barely. Um, we've seen you in Pastry Arts uh, mm-hmm. magazine already. I've seen numerous articles about it. I mean, it seems to be again this kind of cooperative nature that you've built here at Leviathan. Um, is, is getting some attention. I mean, do you think this is something that you may see trending going forward where pastry chefs kind of team up together to open uh, bakehouses? Because, again, well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, this right. bakehouses might be the future, you know? I mean, honestly, it, it, it's kind of hard to say. I feel like we're definitely a special case. Um, sure. Like, you know, I, I don't it's know. It's early on, but we got it, five people to get along. <laughs> right. I mean, that's one thing. And, and, and you know, when I think about the the concept and the ownership like i i always kind of wondered is is this even gonna work i Mm. mean i'm kind of wary of of partnerships as it is um but honestly that's that hasn't really been much of an issue um i mean we've had obviously we're five human beings so we're not all gonna agree on everything Mm -hmm. all the time um but we are all pretty respectful of each other if there's any kind of disagreement or, or difficulties. I mean, because we're an S-Corp, we can just kind of vote on it and, sure. and hopefully that will put things to rest. But one of the things that I said really early on when we were having our, our meetings and concepting was like, look, this isn't going to work if anybody's harboring any resentments towards anybody else. So the only way this works is if there's really open communication. Right. Um, and again, you know, waiting for other people to pull out or decide that they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't hang with that. But we're still here, so. No, it's fantastic. I mean, so you're over a year in as far as everybody, you know, kind of being committed to one another. Yep. Uh, where did the name come from? Uh, you know, um, I mean, <laughs> we, yeah, we were historically kinda, we know where the name comes from. Sure, we were all kind of sitting around uh, having one of our meetings, and and that was kind of the question um, of the day. 
Yeah, I hate naming restaurants. Uh, yeah, well, especially and, with partnerships because no one can agree. <laughs> and it, it kind of occurred to me: it almost doesn't matter what you call something. Yep. Um, because eventually, you know, once you have the tables and the walls, you know, the paint on the walls and the decor and and your concept, that that becomes the name. Mm -hmm. um, then the name sort of takes on a life of its own. And I mean, you know, if you if you look into bakeries and things like that, you can kind of see all the cliched right. grain and hearth and, you know, it it just kind of made me roll my eyes when <laughs> I was thinking about stuff. Because we were all kicking around names and finding French terms for things and... <laughs> It's, I know. I can see just. I can see the look on your face. I went through. We literally. It took I think eight months to name Black Market before sure. we finally. I mean, there were some like throwing papers down and pointing right. and screaming <laughs> in these meetings before finally. I think it was our interior designer um, said, "Well, what about Black Market?" And we looked at each other. And I was like, "Yeah, that's cool." And he looked at me. He's like, "Yeah, that's cool." I'm like, "All right, done. done. Yeah. We're never talking about this again." <laughs> well, so one of the one of my favorite places that I that I love, and it's a really really well known place in New York, is Balthazar Bakery. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, if you think about that name, it's it's kind of got. It sounds like it's got like a literary connotation. It's sort of it means whatever you bring to the table, but ultimately, what Balthazar Bakery is, it's Balthazar Bakery in New York. And so I, I kind of wanted something with, with sort of an aesthetic like that. Um, and Leviathan was a name that I kind of kicked around in my head a long time ago. Um, I always refer to the Mastodon album, Leviathan, mm -hmm. you know, whenever I talk about this story. But the, I, I just kind of said that name and everybody, same kind of thing, just started looking around the room and went, yeah, I kind of like that. And yeah, you have to snatch that moment when everybody's in agreement. Yep, like, all right, done. done. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> By, well, the, by the domain. I mean, you, you you mentioned, you know, that it was, you think of the Mastodon album. I mean, you are a metalhead, which is yes. one of the first things, you know, that, like, I guess, that broke the ice, you yeah. know, between uh, us when we started chit-chatting. I was going to ask you what you've been listening to lately. Uh, a lot of black metal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've actually, I've got, during COVID, I set up a little uh, home studio uh, to record. And, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of black metal. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's also kind of atmospheric. I mean, although it's sure. like this very heavy you know, uh, blast beat filled yeah. and there's, screaming there's kind of music. There's a drone to the There background. is a drone yeah. to it, right. And so my wife doesn't figure that the same way I do, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, it is. It's like zombie. You can kind of kick it on, and after yeah. a couple minutes, it just really becomes kind of background. Right. And, uh, yeah, I really like that. I mean, I'm always listening to thrash. Sure. You know, I just... Have you heard that new uh, Napalm Death album? I have not yet. It's because I've been, I've been listening to a book on, on Audible, so gotcha. I haven't caught any of the new stuff, and... I've heard the new ACDC album's cool. You know, yeah. I haven't heard any of it. Yeah, no, I, I was I was surprised. I mean, I love Napalm Death, uh, but I was kind of blown away by how good it is. It, you know, I find that, and I, I've said it online, um, that some of my favorite bands, you know, from the, like, kind of golden era of thrash and death metal, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like, early 90s, and, like, you know, 90s metal just started to suck. I, and I know that I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this, but I <laughs> fucking hate Pantera. And I feel like they kind of ruined the 90s because that was like a hop, skip, and a jump over to like new metal. Sure. And like that kind of aggro, it was the bridge. bro yeah. stuff. Um, and then, it, you know, there was still a lot of cool things happening on the underground, but I think I kind of fell off a little bit during that time frame. Sure. Um, but now you're starting to see a lot of these thrash bands and like... When you think about how old they were in the in the late 80s and the early 90s, I mean, they were like children. Some of them right. li literally like possessed, right? They were like 16 years old when they dropped their first yeah, album. Yeah, sure. So like, 
even though it's been 30 years, they're just now and they're like, they're our age. You yeah. know, they're mid 40s, maybe, you know, early 50s. And they're doing some of the best music of their careers. Oh, for you know, sure. uh, I, I love Death Angel, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, so they just got just got nominated uh, for a Grammy last year. Yeah. And uh, Ted Aguilar, that's their uh, rhythm guitar player, has been doing a, a kind of a series of podcasts, I guess, if you will, mm-hmm. but it, on Facebook called Alive and Streaming. And um, it's real cool. He's had a lot of guests on, um, and you know, just kind of like this, except it's on video. But yeah. he's interviewing people that would never come on our show, you know? Sure, like, sure. Yeah, Jeff Becerra from, from uh, Possessed on last mm-hmm. week, and yeah, it's kind of neat. And so, yeah, when you talk about, like, Napalm Death doing a really badass album, it's like, it just, I think it comes with maturity, right? I mean, sure. you, you do miss a little bit of the, the like, kind of youth uh, angst and aggression, right, you know, when you get a little bit older, but, you know, we just have different problems when we get older, and I think, but you're also <laughs> well, more technically adept at your instrument as well. Yeah, I also don't know about you, I mean, you know, we're both 44, but God, I still feel like I'm 16 or 17 most days. I think the industry does that to us, because we don't work around a lot of people that are our age, you know, right. and so I think that keeps us young, definitely. Oh, I'm definitely the old man here. Yeah. <laughs> are you the only one with gray hair here? But you've kind of been a silver fox for a long time, though. Yeah, that, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I definitely well, you know, same same with you. You got the gray streaks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My yeah, two lightning bolts in my beard have now just become a big blob of gray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly, I, I enjoy kind of working around younger people. Yeah. It, it kind of keeps me in touch with with that side of myself. It really sure. does, and I think it does make us feel young. I mean, the body's still hurt, and you know, there's certain things that come with aging. But you know, and mentally, yeah, I just you've got kids and stuff. I have one, yeah. You know, you have a kid. See, I don't even have any kids. So, sure. like, for me, I, there's no, like, life marker that says exactly. I've gotten older. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, my daughter's almost as tall as me now. Right, so. yeah, those sorts of things. Right. And, you know, I see my niece, and I'm like, wow, geez, weren't you just born a couple years ago? You're like, oh, no, but, you're 11 now. Yeah. That's right. But that really was just a couple of years ago, if you think about it. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. especially as fast as things move here. I mean, we're talking yeah. about, we're damn near a year into the coronavirus. Right. So... Yeah, that's wild, man. So uh, as far as, you know, I mean, you've, you just got started. Do you have any big plans for the growth of this place? I don't mean like additional locations, but right. I mean, you know, you're still kind of getting your feet grounded um, yeah, as far honestly, as growth inside at, the... At this point, I mean, we just, just opened in July. Things have been going better than we had anticipated. I mean, with opening a new business, you kind of never really know it. I mean, sh- listen to me trying to talk like I've done this before. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but if I you've mean, seen it done, you've, I mean, it's n- no it done, different but, on the inside. But you have absolutely no idea what to expect. Right, I mean, right. honestly, all you can do, you can concept the place, you, you know, you can promote yourself, get whatever article. People still have to show up. Yeah. You still have to do the job. Mm-hmm. You still have to be good, uh, good enough to have people coming back and, and spending money. But I mean, fortunately for us, people seem to like what we're doing. Yeah, they keep showing up and, I always and spending find money here. That it takes. I always say it takes about a, a year to two years for the place to become sure. what it is. I mean, it, it like you said with the name, it just becomes its own thing, and right. you're kind of on for the ride at that point. You know, you can concept all you want, but when right. the people show up, they and, they'll tell you what they want. Exactly, you, know, you can. You can Restaurant will tell you what you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, we're still gathering data. Sure, and that's all we're doing. Um, you know, we'll we'll gather the first year data, and, and hopefully we'll make it to year two, and and from there, you know, we'll we we've, we're kind of trying to get through the end of the year at this point mm-hmm. um, without, you know, I, I think one of the the tendencies is is to try and and keep coming up with new things right. and to keep things exciting and interesting. 
um, free yourself because you got to show up every day and do the job. Sure. But you also have to be consistent. Right. You know, you have to make the same things every day so the people that are coming in can get that thing that they want. You know, that going back to my friend Chris, um, the pastry chef, like I said, mm -hmm. from out west, you know, he's spent years. Uh, he, he did a mid-career retirement and blew all of his money um, because, you know, in our business, we don't get to retire. Yeah. So he wanted to enjoy it. And so he took a couple years off and, you know, traveled the whole United States. And But it's it's fun watching his travels because he finds all these, like, amazing little places sure. um, that are doing the most badass mm -hmm. work in, the, in, in just really unexpected places. Small town with 300 people, but the bakery's been there for 40 years or right. something like that. And the one thing that I kind of see looking at his travels and his Instagram feed um, or Facebook, whatever he posts it, is that it's all like old school, standard issue like pastry, but it's just done really, really fucking well, you know? That's kind of, when we were concepting, when we were talking, the, the way that I would always describe this and... Uh, I would always say I want to open the George Clooney of bakeries. <laughs> Explain this. Okay, yeah, I know. I know it's kind of obscure, but so he's kind of like this this classic sort of Hollywood leading man. Uh, I would describe him as a three-piece suit. It's the thing that never goes out of style. Um, you know, there's, there's always going to be new trends and things like that and cronuts and cupcakes and all that kind of stuff. If you can do the classics and you can do them really, really well, you will always be able to sell a product. Right. I mean, the reason they're cl classics is because they've stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really kind of what we have have hung our hat on here, um, is making sure that, that, again, going back to the building blocks, that we know what we are doing in terms of pastry, in terms of, I mean, even on the savory side of things, I mean, there's not a lot of bells and whistles. Um, we're doing things that, that we enjoy doing and trying to do them really, really well. There's no edible gold here? <laughs> there, there is. Is there really? Absolutely. Um, you guys can't get away from it, can you? No, no. I mean, I, it's not on anything right now, but it is in a drawer. <laughs> Emergency use it, only. That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, but there, there certainly aren't, you know, we don't have a lot of powders in the back. And, sure and things like that. We're, you're always going to be able to find great bread, great croissant. Um, By the way, that loaf of bread you gave me last week, oh, holy good. Jesus, man. Yeah, that, that porridge loaf? Yeah. Yeah, Sammy's been working on that thing for six or seven years. He's He's got it pretty dialed so in. So good. Yeah. Everybody that I, everybody work was just immediately, hey, can I have, can I have some more? Can I have some more? Yeah, tell like, them hold on. It. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. So, well... You just wrapped it up for us. So where where do we find you? Where can people get it? And I do want to point out, if you're visiting Indianapolis, Leviathan's really easy to get to because you're just outside of the downtown kind of mile square is what That's we right. call it. But you have parking. Like, we it's do so have easy parking. to park here. It's crazy <laughs> because I pulled up right to the side. You got plenty of room in the front. Yep. Um, your neighbors are like a hookah bar, right? Or something yep, like that. Yeah, a hookah bar two doors down. <laughs> so you don't really see, I mean, there's not a ton of traffic out there in the mornings and no. there's a lot of space to park. Um, yeah, we are right at the corner of 11th and College in downtown Indianapolis. Um, are you, you have an online presence as well, right? Um, uh, LeviathanBakehouse.com. Yeah. LeviathanBakehouse on Instagram. Uh, I think we have a Twitter, but yeah, I don't think I don't there's anything use it. Yeah. on there. So. Yeah, Twitter's just become so full of vitriol that I, yeah. I just see no usefulness. Every time I log in to try to send 
a message or you know post something i look at whatever's in the feed right on top and i'm like nope yeah nope, turn i around, can't yeah close the just, door. exactly i mean it's all becoming as bad but you know at least instagram is still like photo focused and that's with right. food you know that's what i want i want to see what i'm going to be getting when i get to a yeah, place you don't necessarily have to read the caption to right. enjoy the the content and most of the people i follow on instagram are either like I love to look at all the cool classic cars and custom cars, sure. but they're also bakeries. You know, like I <laughs> yeah. follow all of these like badass pastry chefs and bake houses, and it's fun because it's a really, it's really an art um, what you guys do. It's, yeah, it's fun. the one thing that I can say is is pastry is definitely photogenic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's nice that you can come into a place here and you don't have to wait until the end of the meal to get it. So Leviathan Bakery uh, on Instagram, and you, you said Leviathan. I'm sorry, oh, not bakery, oh, bakehouse. Bakehouse. Yeah, let's see. I already screwed it up. Yeah. That's it. I hope you got that domain, too. <laughs> yeah, we, we should probably look into that. <laughs> right. Uh, well, fantastic, man. I appreciate you sitting down with me here. You know, it's a nice break to, you know, I guess get out of my four walls. But additionally, sure. you know, typically we're talking about cocktails on the show and booze. And, you know, it's it does seem very, um, I don't know, overly luxurious to, you know, to, to even worry about cocktails or anything like that. You know, when you're focused on that, when we're all just trying to keep our head above the water and... Well, I think that there's a lot of similarities between pastry and cocktails For in a sure. lot of ways. I mean, yeah. it's very precise arts, um, and it's also a luxury. Well, and like you, you know, you said, it, you, knowing the building blocks and doing that, and it, you know, the cocktail world and the pastry world both get very far away from that easily. Yeah. Where you start doing all these weird infusions and all that, and 14 ingredients, and you know, at the end of the day, flour, water, eggs, you yeah. know, will get you pretty far with yeah. some technique. Yeah, it's very, very transformative. I remember getting a, a, a phone call from uh, a friend of mine that was the uh, uh, pastry chef for Bakery Nouveau. Well, uh, well, actually, it was Chris, that's right, um, in Seattle when they opened the new Capitol mm -hmm. Hill location. And they just had like a, a banging opening weekend, the very first weekend they were open. It was ridiculous. And he's like, I can't believe how much we just sold for like flour, water, and eggs. <laughs> Like, well, I think there might be a little more to it than that. But, yes, I'm glad that you're, like, yeah. you know, the, the, these, the prestige of the business has not gotten to your head, you know? Right. He's like, it's just flour, water, and eggs. But, yeah, it's cool. I, I love what you guys do. You do work magic with very few ingredients here. I appreciate and, um, that. I'm really excited that, that you've been able to open in the midst of all this and show that there is, there is some light. You know, we, we are going to get through this somehow, and the, perhaps not all of us are going to be left standing, but it's cool that, you know, there's going to be other people popping up as as we're sure. <laughs> as we're locking the doors, you yeah. know. Um, well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Do you, I mean, you have any uh, other personal Instagram or anything like that you want to share? Or it's pretty much everything go through. Yeah, the, uh, the everything Leviathan through now. Leviathan. You just kind yeah. of shifted over now, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have mine, but I don't think I've really posted. Sure. Much on it yeah. In a couple of years. So. I know. I've got my personal as well, but you know, it's like mostly goes onto the show. At yeah. This now point. I just feel like it's a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Pete. I'm, thanks, like, Ed. I can't wait to uh, to sit down and, and and chat a little bit more some other time. Yeah, so. Sure. Uh, well, that wraps up the episode for this week. We'll see you here in a few weeks. We've got some real cool ones coming up. And uh, until then, go to uh, leviathanbakehouse.com and check out what Pete's doing. And uh, you've got little bios on the rest of the crew. It's pretty interesting. So we will see you next time.